gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the SAP, the Sex Actually podcast. As always, it is your host, Dave Neal. This is a solo episode. If you like solo episodes, this is the one for you. If you hate solo episodes, just go find another one. This is the 385th episode. I'm sure there's something that's your cup of tea. But I think most of you guys like what I do here when I just ramble all on my own. Uh, Let's paint a picture. I am in my Toyota Matrix my old Toyota Matrix. So one of our listeners of the podcast has been in my car before. That's Rainer. Remember Rainer? Rainer visited from Austria. And a few weeks ago, actually it was probably a few months ago at this point, Rainer was in town and I was like, dude, let's go to a Hollywood party. I'll show you a Hollywood party while you're in town. And it was, uh, you know, cause we don't go to parties too often. We're not that cool. It's either uh, staying up in a dive bar or just home watching Netflix. So uh, we picked Rainer up at his hotel, brought him to a friend's party. And I remember that was like the week before the coronavirus really hit California so we were wondering, we were like, oh, I wonder if people are going to quarantine. And I remember the even the idea of quarantine sounded kind of like a sexy idea. You know, it was like, oh, man, we'll get like a week or two to kind of like get some shit done. Boy, what, what is that, five weeks ago, six weeks ago? Now we're like, all right, let's wrap it up. All right, let's get this virus out of here. And I don't think you guys want to have me talk for an hour about the virus. So I won't. I'm not an expert. I don't know when we're going to get back to work. I know it's going to be a lot of going back to work, then the virus comes back a little bit, and uh, we're going to have to just take it one step at a time, literally. Uh, I understand all that. I just hope that everyone out there is healthy. I hope you guys are finding happiness, and I hope you are finding the market opportunity for yourself for your personal growth, for who you are as a soul, as a spirit, I hope you're finding that in these rough times. There is something to be grateful for. I mean, like there's nothing worse. Put it this way. The only thing that would be worse than staying at home for five or six weeks for me is if I was home for five or six weeks because I had, say, mono and everyone else was out having fun. The fact that we've got this sort of camaraderie, we've got this sort of blizzard that's happening to us as, as, as humans, um, I think is, is uniting us. And don't get me wrong. There's always going to be someone on Facebook yelling. I mean, you know, like uh, I'm kind of – I've always been – I think I've always been sort of centrist when it comes to like understanding both sides of, of, of any argument, not necessarily agreeing with both sides, but at least understanding. So we had like, on one hand, I had a, a girl that I know on my Facebook uh, complaining that um, a bunch of tourists went to these poppy fields to take photos. And on the other hand, I've been to these poppy fields and I know that like you can just pull over on the side of the road, interact with nobody, keep a social distance. So it's weird. We're in a weird place where where it, we, we should be keeping social distance, but also because of the internet, I think people are lousy at sort of, def- at sort of like um, trusting others. And don't get me wrong. I get it. There are beaches packed full of people, this and that. You can't, not everyone can be trusted, but um, it's tough to mind your own business when we're dealing with a global pandemic, right? It's tough to mind your business. I just hope that everyone out there is having some come to Jesus moment. And by Jesus, I mean (laughs) that feeling within yourself that's love and happiness. Because I think what we realize is our, for for whatever reason, our souls conspire to be a specific level of happiness regardless of the circumstance. Wouldn't you guys agree? 
regardless of the circumstance. I've met plenty of millionaires that are riddled with anxiety that are sort of, you know, not happy people. And I've met plenty of poor people down on their luck that, you know, say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family. I got a, I got a happy dog. So perspective is so important in times like this. You know, what Tasha and I were actually speaking about recently was um, uh, toxic gratitude. We touched on toxic gratitude the other day because, uh, yes, it's good to be sort of appreciative and have good perspective with our issues, but it's also good to feel your feelings, right? It's also good to feel just when some shit's going down, when you're not feeling great about life. Because if you've got this toxic gratitude, and I'm talking toxic gratitude, like, hey, everything's fine, everything's good, at least this is good for me, it can be dismissive to someone's problems. Like, say your spouse is having a tough day. Say your best friend's having a tough day, whoever it is, your mom. And you say, hey, yo, it could be worse. Well, saying it could be worse, that to me is a toxic level of gratitude because you're not really preaching the, the, the true essence of gratitude. You're just saying, hey, your situation's not as bad as someone else's. And when you boil that down, you're saying, I don't acknowledge your pain or your feelings because others have it worse. And that's what's tough. How many times have we had to you know, complain, especially for me on the podcast, where I'm like, look, I get I've got privilege. I get I've got X, Y, and Z, but I'm still struggling with this inner, you know, ego or whatever it is that's telling me to work harder, that's telling me I'm not good enough. I don't know about you guys, but in my industry, you know, with stand-up comedy, everybody feels that way. And you almost wonder if you, it's, it's almost like if you don't, if I don't have the feeling like I'm not working hard enough, will the other person that's working harder just pass me? Because it's like for every day I do stand-up comedy, there's, it, seemed, it just seems this way. But in Los Angeles, it seems like there's a new thousand people that start stand-up and want to work harder at it. So it's like if I'm not running at a speed that everyone else is running, like what, like what good is it for me to get better with whatever it is in life? What good is it for me to get better at it at, say, seven miles an hour when, new, and, and, and the, when there's a wave of other people that are getting better at it at 11 miles an hour? You know what I mean? So it's like progress is only, and again, this is just the way I feel, but progress is only good when you feel like you're sort of, when, when there's some sort of like a meritocracy to the end of it. Like they always say, like, run at your own speed, stay in your own lane. I get all that. And I truly believe that. But also there's a part of me that believes like, if you don't know where you are in your um, field with whatever it is you're doing, if you don't know where you stand, how do you? What? Where is your perspective with your successes? That's what's tough. Because what I've had to realize in the last five or six weeks, from literally seeing nobody in person other than Tasha, our dog, and maybe the occasional like FedEx person who you know shows up at the door, uh, seeing nobody in person as a as a guy who is very social, tries to perform stand up you know, a good handful of times a week, even my side job, I'm meeting tourists all day long. How do I cope with facing like all the uh, issues I haven't acknowledged because I've kept myself too busy? And how do I cope with those issues without hating on myself, without ruminating negativity? Because I think that's the key is 
we're all forced have enough free time to do a lot of self-evaluating. So how do we evaluate the self? And I've and I've asked. I'm pretty sure with when our with our conversation with Petra Kolber, um, writer of the Perfection Detox. I'm pretty sure with her it was when I asked this question. But how do we acknowledge our shortcomings? Put them in a place where we can look at them like a manager would, without emotion. Don't get too close to them, but go. This is what I'm not good at. I am not good at X, Y, and Z. But I am good at A, B, and C. So how much energy and love and light can I put into this quote unquote, you know, manufacturing this factory of mine so that A, B, and C are well-oiled machines so that I am doing everything I can efficiently with my good talents so that outweighs the things that I am just not good at. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're bad at organizing, get a calendar. If you're bad at... um, if, if you're like me and you're a sugar addict, try your best not to eat sugar every day. Try your best to give yourself a cheat day. Or maybe when it comes to eating the cheesecake, cut the cheesecake a modest size slice and put the rest in the freezer and lock that shit up for the night. You know what I mean? There's nothing worse than having a gallon of ice cream when you're eating, the, you know, spooning it right out of the carton. Boy, how quickly does that go? You know? And I've been struggling with that. I've been struggling with the toxic food I've been putting into my stomach. For sure. When I'm out and about running around, I just need a coffee or a Diet Coke. And I know that's not the healthiest thing. But when I'm home, oh, man, we got to walk. We got fried rice. We're, we got the slow cooker going. Three pounds of tri-tip last night. I got the meat sweats. You know what I mean? So what, so what we're sort of learning in this sort of global stay-at-home vibe that we have is how do we shine the light on ourselves to make our product, our export, whatever it is we do, the best it can be. And there's a million ways to skinny cat. There's a million ways to get to the finish line. So the question is, how do we parlay that whitewater rapid so it's not as bumpy, so we're not swimming upstream? And how do we sort of just position ourselves so that we can withstand all the rocks, all the bumps, and go with the flow, the natural flow of our creative forces, of whatever it is we're doing. Because we're going to pass that energy down to our kids, to our friends. And I, and I think when you break it down and ask people, nobody wants to be the negative Nancy. Nobody wants to be the person that your friends are afraid to pick the phone up when you call them because they know you're just going to bitch to them. We've all been there. Oh man, have I been there so bad? I remember meeting this girl once when I was going through a heartbreak and I just wanted to vent to somebody. And so she was like nice enough to like listen to my problems. But then I didn't get the social cue when to stop complaining about my issues. And eventually she just like walked away from me. And and in hindsight, I remember this time and it was so cringeworthy. Just thinking about it makes my skin crawl because in that moment, I was so busy worrying about the dumbest issue, ruminating over the dumbest issue that I turned it into something so much bigger than it needed to be. And again, I didn't need someone saying, oh, someone's got it worse than you. I had to come up with that realization myself to be like, dude, Dave, you are putting so much energy, wasted energy into a negative uh, part of your life. And how many times do we put all that energy into a negative part of our life that we don't realize the good that's slapping us up the fucking front of our face? 
How much good is out there? And you think when you open your eyes up, you see everything. You think you see it all. We've all got vision, most of us. But how many of us are just looking at the negative parts, expanding on it? You know, what you, what you look at in life be, enlarges, right? So how do you enlarge the part of your life that is the good? I'm struggling with it. I mean, I'm not in a place, guys, where I'm, you know, hurting. I'm not hurting, but I'm struggling with it in a sense that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of, and just like Tasha, you know, we've talked about this on this on the private episodes on patreon.com slash the sap. We've talked about this um, on a bunch of our last episodes. And it's an ongoing question. How do we keep our happiness when a lot of our life was taken away? Tasha's having a hard time. She's a ritualistic person. My rituals haven't changed too much because I'm still creating. I'm still doing bachelor recaps. I'm just, I'm still doing, um, I just started recapping the show Too Hot to Handle on Netflix, which by the way, without giving away any spoilers, is a show where um, the contestants uh, aren't allowed to kiss or have sex or, or sexually touch each other. And they have to go like basically a whole month without, you know, without, um, with resisting that urge. And there's cameras everywhere and they dock their pay. So they go from, uh, what would be a hundred thousand dollar prize. And like for every time someone kisses someone, they dox their money and God forbid they have sex. So it's a very, so anyway, I'm finding ways to take what I love to do and make it work in our world. And that's really like just keeping that muscle going. Like what I'm not doing, there's a lot of comics that are doing these Zoom stand-up shows where like they perform stand-up in front of nobody. And I know Rainer, I know that you were like, oh, Dave, you guys should put together a Zoom stand-up show. Um, I just, I firmly believe stand-up is, it's such a uh, special um, thing that involves an audience. When, when the audience isn't there, I have, you know, there's, I can do what I'm doing right now with no audience. I'm talking to you guys. But as far as jokes go, that feeds off of the crowd. There's a specific energy to the room that happens when you're telling a joke. And, and when it's not there, it's not, it, it is an ugly experience. But I did think maybe, maybe, maybe there's a, a form of um, live uh, Zoom shows we can do where we tell funny stories. Maybe I should do that for an episode. Just get this, get the, get like, get like eight comics on a Zoom call and have everyone just share a funny story. The problem with that is just like, I mean, I was on a Zoom call for Easter with my family and it was like 20 different people talking over each other. It is so frustrating to be on a Zoom call with too many people. As nice as it is to see everybody, it is not an exact science to say the least. But anyway, I'll get I'll get off the topic of um, this self improvement topic. I know some people have written in and said we don't want you to be motivational. We want sex talk. But the truth is, is like, what good is the sex if you're batshit crazy because you haven't figured out your own stuff, right? That seems to be the issue that we're working with. All right, let's read a couple relationship questions we pull off of Reddit. My okay, this is from a 38 year old female. She said, my ex-fiance, who's 39-year-old male, ghosted me before our wedding. It's been 16 years. Oh, wait, hold on. I, I messed that up. The man who wrote this, it's a man who wrote this, and he's talking about his female fiance. Sorry, my ex-fiance ghosted me 
before our wedding. It's been 16 years, and now she wants to talk it over again. Should we reopen closed wounds? I was never given an explanation. She just left and told nobody. It was literally right before our big wedding ceremony. She didn't leave a note, nothing, just left. Even her family were left baffled. She just up and left. We had dated all throughout high school and all through college. She eventually returned, but not to me. I had to learn via third party, a.k.a. her parents. She had no intentions of coming home. She wanted nothing to do with me and told her parents to avoid having me around. I never got a choice in the matter. I respected her wishes. I never understood why she did it. My only guess was she had a mental breakdown because she cut off all contact with everyone. We were both young and still growing. I don't know, but I've struggled with it since. Out of the blue, she DMs me on Facebook after all these years and wants to meet up. I'm an influx of emotions right now. Angry, nervous, hopeful, sad. I still have feelings for her. I don't know if I could take her back, but looking at her Facebook makes me miss her. She's even better looking than she was before and single. I'm conflicted. She won't talk about anything as to why she left. She said it's best to do so in person. The only thing I can tell is from her Facebook is a bunch of stuff about her being weak and living a life full of shame and regret and being lonely. This is dumb. She ghosted me and I shouldn't want nothing to do with her, but damn it, I still have feelings for her. I never stopped thinking about her. What should I do? Ghost her in return? Call her out? See where this date takes us? Look, first of all, ghosting her in return would be the ego's move. So that's stupid. All right, that's just stupid because you're not going to get any love out of that. Um, what here's what I would do, me personally, what what would interest me is to go into that conversation with a fortress surrounding me, be completely guarded, don't expect anything. But I do think it would be good um, to hear her out. Uh, for your own, because here's here's the deal. Here's why we settle petty disagreements. Here's why we settle um, problems that we had that were never resolved. Because it helps us overcome them. It'll help you feel better to know, oh, she had an emotional breakdown and she's got this X, Y, and Z or whatever. Or, hey, uh, maybe you find out you were super manipulative and she didn't think there was a safe way where she could have left you. Which, which sounds crazy, but I dated this girl once. She's been the subject of a lot of my issues. And I don't mean she, like, like she caused them, but this specific relationship um, started as a flashbang out of nowhere, uh, turned into a long-distance thing, tried to make it work, slowly faded, uh, decided as far away as I was from her that when I was able to get back into her, point of view into her peripheral vision that I would be able to um, get back to where we were when we were close and in love. And I remember it was one of the sad, it was one of the saddest days of my life. I remember finally getting, getting back to seeing her in person after several months of not talking, but still like in my head thinking we, we could work it out. And I remember getting drinks with her and her and some of her friends thinking that this was like back to being a date. And I went back and I went and I like walked her back to her place and I like leaned in hard to kiss her. And I'm not saying like go 50%, then they go 45%, then go the final 5%. No, I went full 98% and she backed away from me and she was like, Dave, what? And I, and in my head, I could not believe 
uh, for a second that I was like, that's a funny thing. Whenever you go in for a kiss, sometimes you think you're going to get rejected. But in most of the cases, I think you've just misread all of the signs. So even with all of her signs, she was probably given out. I still thought she and I had a chance and that was crazy to me. So I drank a lot that night after that. And I was like, I, 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 w- I was confused. I moved back to New York City. I had nowhere to live. I was staying on my buddy's couch and I was a mess, a mess. My whole world was turned upside down because I had put in my head this idea that as, as soon as I'll get back to her, I'll make it right. And this has been a, ref- <laughs> this has been a recurring theme of mine throughout life. I'll make it right. Maybe things weren't meant to be made right. You know what I mean? But I wasn't going to go on. I wasn't going to move on with life until I tried to make that right. And that's the problem with ghosting is that with ghosting, you are stripped of the chance to see a relationship to its completion. Maybe uh, your ex-fiance, instead of ghosting on you, could have just broken up with you, explained why, and you could have moved on. Wouldn't that have been nice? But that lingering doubt, you can only create in the body, the mind is a smart tool, right? The brain is a smart tool. It wants to create solutions to unknowns. That's why so many times people think they like see a ghost because they at the corner of their eye, they see something. Your brain will piece the puzzle pieces together to 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 best map out for you what you think you saw, right? So with a relationship, if you think it's going in one direction, but you don't have all the answers, your brain is going to rationalize some pretty crazy shit. So for me, I moved back to New York and I'm like, okay, well, I know what I did to land her. Um, she loved me. She loved what I was all about. So I'll just recreate all that. And then I was rejected hard. And then that was like a proper answer. And what was probably a week or two later, um, I feel like she texted me saying, hey, let's talk. And I, I had already gotten my answers. Like I was kind of like pretty sure like things were over, but I still wanted to talk. And we had a talk and she, she was, I thought I was the victim. Let's put it this way. I thought I was the victim of a situation where I did everything I could and she didn't want to get back with me and X, Y, and Z. And in her eyes, I left her. She was abandoned. She had all of the emotions that she's probably had with past relationships where a boy leaves her and after she's um, shown love. So there's a very interesting thing that happened where I realized I wasn't the victim. She wasn't the victim. We were both part of something that didn't work out. And the second we were able to have that conversation on a rainy day on the Upper West Side in a Greek diner, as shitty as that conversation was, it answered so many questions for me that I was able to move on with life. And the human body, the soul, is a resilient force. It moves on it carries on with life. It is so important that we do the best we can to be open and honest with others so that we can all move on with all the facts and not have to guess. So I would really hope that this guy talks to his ex. I don't know what the solution is from there. 
are there giant red flags? Yeah. But there's also a lot of red flags by not knowing what the heck went down. So figure out when, what went down. Have some compassion above all else to somebody who's clearly not in the right mindset. That's something that it's hard to have. It's hard to have compassion when we're all wounded animals, right? We're all wounded animals and then we're supposed to feel bad for somebody else who is wounded. That's that's the true measure of like how enlightened you are is if you're able to take all of the pain that you've had inflicted on you, all of that scar tissue, that calcified exoskeleton of nobody's going to hurt me again. How do you take all of that and say, okay, maybe the pain will burn my hand, but I'm still going to reach out. Maybe this relationship's going to burn me, but I'm still going to get all the answers I need to get. Let's do another question here. My hut, here's a good one. I had this one originally because I wanted Tasha to uh, read it, but she's not with us today. So I'm going to have to give this creepy answer. My husband caught our daughter using a sex toy and is furious, but I feel he is being unfair. Yesterday, my husband walked in on our 15-year-old daughter masturbating when he went to put clean washings in her room. That sounds, that's a weird way to put it, clean washings in her room. Would you live in like Elizabethan era? <laughs> I fixed you some clean washings. In the powder room. Let me just say we aren't a very religious household, but he was raised in one and isn't very tolerant because of it. He left the room immediately and I talked to him and he was furious. I tried to calm him down and he did, but he ended up searching her room for electronics to check um, her search history and found um, the way she was using a sex toy or found out that she was using a sex toy. He's completely furious and was yelling and saying some things I don't agree with, and I think he went too far. She's had all her devices confiscated and hasn't spoken to anyone in the house since. I really feel bad about what happened and that it isn't fair, but I don't know what to do. Help appreciated. Um, your husband caught your daughter using a sex toy and is furious. Yeah. You know, I mean, what do I know? I don't have any daughters, but I think the simple, the simple answer to every one of these questions is communicate. You got to sit down. Yeah, it might be weird. It might be weird for you and your husband who were probably raised not talking about sex if he was raised in a super religious household to sit down and say, look, it's okay. It's okay to masturbate. Okay, it's okay. And it's weird and um, we want to make sure you're safe and uh, if you are having sex, that you're using protection, blah, blah, blah. But boy, we what do we know about how these things go down. You can't stop somebody from doing the shit that they want to do. I mean, I don't know if there's much else I need to say about that. You can't stop somebody from masturbating. Let's see if I have any more questions in here. Oh, here's what I learned. Oh, today's 420. Just noticed today is 420. 420. Several things happened on 420. It is my stepsister's birthday. Happy birthday, Kristen. And it's also Hitler's birthday, by the way, which is a weird one. But hey, it it is what it is. Someone had to be born on that day. Uh, 420 is the uh, cannabis code word, the weed code word. And um, I was just looking this up on my tabs here. Uh, What makes cannabis, what makes it, what makes 420 this code day? So let's figure it out. Uh, Da, 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 da. 
420 is cannabis culture slang for marijuana consumption, especially smoking around the time 4.20 p.m. and also refers to cannabis-oriented celebrations that take place annually on April 20th, which is 4.20 in U.S. form. Oh, yeah, because in other countries, you swap that. It'd be 24, right, in other countries? All right, origins. In 1971, five high school students in San Rafael, California, used the term 420 in connection with a plan to search for an abandoned cannabis crop based on a treasure map made by the grower, calling themselves the Waldos because their typical hangout spot was a wall outside the school. The five students uh, designated the Luis Pasteur statue on the grounds of St. Raphael High School as their meeting place and 4.20 p.m. as their meeting time. The Waldos referred to this plan with the phrase 4.20 Lewis after several failed attempts to find the crop. The group eventually shortened their phrase to simply 4.20, which ultimately evolved into a code word the teens used to refer to consuming cannabis. Stephen Hager of High Times was responsible for popularizing the story of the Waldos. The first High Times mention of 420 smoking in a 420 holiday appeared in May 1991, and the connection to the Waldos appeared in December 1998. Hager attributed the early spread of the phrase to Grateful Dead followers after Waldo Reddicks became a roadie for the Dead's bassist, Phil Lesh, and called for 4.20 p.m. to be the socially accepted hour of the day to consume cannabis. The more you know. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Badass Waldos. Has that been made into a movie? That sounds like the start. That sounds like the start of a like crime thriller, or like maybe the Waldos are searching for weed somewhere, and then they witness a murder, and then uh, they you know they're they're uh, they're on the lamb. I don't know. Maybe there's something out there. April twentieth has become an international counterculture holiday where people gather to celebrate and consume cannabis. Many such events have a political nature to them, advocating the liberalization, legalization of cannabis. Vivian McPeak, a founder of Seattle's Hemp Fest, states that 420 is half celebration and half call to action. Paul Birch calls it a global movement and suggests that one cannot stop events like these. On that day, many marijuana users protest in civil disobedience by gathering in public to light up at 4.20 p.m. Well, that won't be happening today, folks. It's hard to hotbox yourself from six feet away. Globally distance hotboxing. As marijuana continues to be decriminalized and legalized around the world, Steve D'Angelo, cannabis activist and founder of California's Harborside Health Center, notes that even if our activists' work were complete, 420 morphs from a statement of conscience to a celebration of acceptance, a celebration of victory, a celebration of our amazing connection with this plant, and that he thinks that it will always be worthy of celebration. You know what's interesting is like I was I was pretty anti-weed. For pretty much all the the reasons you would be, you know what I mean? Because you're kind of taught that it makes people lazy. You're taught that, um, you know, it's a crime and and all that jazz. Meanwhile, we're out there drinking, you know, natty lights in college, putting our head through a piece of drywall because a girl won't text us back. Actually, uh, what was nice is I, uh, I went to college. I mean, I feel old saying this. When text messaging just became a thing, I feel like you got something like... With my cell phone plan, you got something like 200 text messages a month, which would seem like a lot. But back then, you would text message data, information. You know, you would send out a message, meet me at the lobby at 7 p.m. Done. That was it. Now we have conversations. But we weren't conversing with text messaging back then. Anyway, that's a side point and it doesn't matter. But yeah, so when I look back at 
uh, ways that I was ignorant towards things like marijuana, you wonder what else are we ignorant towards? And um, I guess the opposite the opposite of ignorance is woke. And that's the in the same the, the woke culture I think takes on a uh, bad meaning with certain people. But I think the overall idea is like, what are we not open about? Uh, what are we not seeing the big picture towards and how do we change that? And there's plenty of things. There's plenty of things out there that we um, were kind of like con- um, sort of confined by our egos. And for me, weed, I remember I didn't smoke weed till I was probably about 22 and I didn't get high the first time I smoked. I smoked my b- weed with my buddy because he used to beg me to smoke weed with him because he was a weed guy. And, and there's, there's something when, when people smoke weed and you don't approve of them smoking weed, that pisses them off because they're like, look, I'm not an asshole, you know? And I had friends that, you know, lived a different sort of culture in college because they smoked and I didn't. And I think in hindsight, you realize that weed is a tool sort of like anything is you can have a glass of champagne to celebrate or you can be an alcoholic who uh, drinks too much whiskey and beats their wife so anything you know these are just chemicals right so with weed for me it can be used as something to relieve muscular pain it can be used as something to just chill out i can't say how many times after like a stand-up show you get home it's midnight and um, Tasha's sleeping, and I know I'm not going to go to bed for a long time because I kind of rode this high of a stand-up show, and weed kind of helps you get back to that that place on earth sometimes. I mean, anyway, well, I'm not here to preach the benefits of weed to you guys, but it is interesting to think that within our times, weed has gone from something that could get you, I mean, theoretically, uh, I mean, and in parts of the world, there are still death sentences for being caught with weed. Absolutely. But then you can also find it growing in central, you know, in center field at Dodger Stadium because the Grateful Dead played there a few months ago. You know what I mean? Like it is a it is called weed because it grows super easily as a weed. And it is something that is there for us to use like any other tool uh, as long as we don't abuse it in a way. But I sound like a dad. As long as you don't abuse it, you'll be fine. There's nothing better, though, than like having a joint, sharing a joint. I remember this was actually only a couple months ago, but I remember doing a stand-up show and it was um, a buddy of mine, Quincy. He's black comic. He's been on the podcast, a very funny guy. And it was his show that he was producing. So the, the most of the lineup on the show were black comedians. And I remember after the show, and by the way, there is nothing better than doing stand-up I think with any group of comedians that are a little bit different than you whether it be I've I've done shows I did Raquel's show where it was um all uh different ethnicities and I was the only white person on the show I was like the token white guy of the show which was cool it's cool to be different and 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 then bond with people over of other shared similarities so to do this i remember doing this show and one of the comics had what had to have been the fattest blunt i've ever seen it was gigantic and we all passed it around and smoked after and i was like man what world do i live in how far have i come from newport rhode island this little fishing city uh, in coastal New England to a stand-up venue in Los Angeles, California, passing around a blunt with a bunch of other comics, sharing our experiences. It it was a cool moment, that kind of retrospective moment where you go, oh man, life is pretty cool. We spend so much time thinking about the 
you know, short-sighted things in life. I think weed uh, helps us be more in the moment. No one, no one's looking down at their cell phones as they stand in a circle passing weed around. Maybe they are. You know what I mean? Who knows? We're all addicted to our cell phones, so who knows? But I think it really helps. I don't know if weed helps with podcasting. We don't really do that too often. Normally for podcasts, I have a cup of coffee or a Diet Coke, have a little bit of caffeine. I don't know. We should do one where we do a... Like, this would have been the perfect episode to do a 420 podcast where we all just get baked. But... um I feel like I've done stand-up high, and it's a very delicate balance beam to do stand-up high. There is an amount of high, like for me, it's like a five milligram edible, which is, you know, nothing. That amount of high, I think on stage is fine, but I've also had too much, say, um, sativa before a stand-up show, which is like the type of high that makes you focus, and for me, that type of high will make me really anxious because it makes you like almost overthink things. It's it's also the same reason too much Red Bull or coffee before a stand-up show will cause anxiety for me because it's like taking my fight or flight natural feeling I'm going to have and then ramping it up tenfold. So there's a time and a place I think you learn for everything for different, you know, not wanting to get too wasted before a stand-up show. And and I and I say stand-up because there's plenty of other things I can wing drunk, you know, or I can wing high, but with stand-up you're alone on stage and just fumbling slurring one word that's supposed to be a punchline sort of changes the whole song of things, you know? But don't get me wrong, there are plenty of comics that can perform wasted and be good at it. I remember I had a show at Stand Up New York, which is a comedy club on the Upper West Side in New York City. And it was, I think, one of the first times Tasha and I went back to New York together. And I had, before the show, she had a friend who wanted to take us out to dinner. And I was already nervous for the show. I was anxious because I had a lot of friends going to the show. And it's just one of those things, you know, you just know whenever I'm performing in front of friends or if it's a high expectation thing, you know, like traveling across the country, you want to do well. You just want it to go well. Um, We went to this oyster bar and her friends knew, one of Tasha's friends like knew the head chef there or something. So he brought out a bunch of different foods and he brought out a bunch of different shots of alcohol. I got so drunk before my show and a lot of comedy clubs won't put you up drunk just because so many times it doesn't go well luckily i had a good energetic crowd that was also drunk it was like a probably a 10 p.m show so luckily the crowd and i were in the same chemical mindset that it went well you ever heard this before where they say like oh if you study high you better take the test high or if you study drunk or hungover you should take the test hungover they used to say that in college it's probably a huge um probably not true at all but um with stand-up, but it's all about, it seems to be like the main way to win a crowd over, assuming you've got the material, assuming you've already done the work that you can do to make the jokes, you know, funny or, you know, your game plan is there, right? It's like a boxer. Your game plan's there. Now, once you get punched in the face, what's going to happen? So the biggest key, I think, to winning over a crowd would be listening to their energy if they're at a 60 out of 100 you can come to them with a 65 out of 100 but if you come to them with a 90 out of 100 you might just repel them or you might just 
blaze through them until their energy's risen. But there's something to be said about meeting people where they're at and then bringing them up. That's easier than trying to throw a rope down to them and telling them to climb up to your level. So with stand-up, there's a lot of, um, I think, natural things that happen on stage that involve um, your levels of empathy where you can sort of feel where the room's at. Part of what, what I'm bad at is if the room isn't at the level of energy where I want it to be at the start of my set, I will let them know I'm not happy with where everyone's at. And I've noticed sometimes I'll dig my own grave in that moment by being accusatory as to why they're not there. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure I do this in relationships too with Tasha where instead of th- if she's having a bad day and I come home, I'm like, oh man, like, did I make you upset? What's going on? Like, what's happening? Where it might have nothing to do with me and I just need to let her feel her feelings. But just like with stand-up, it's tough to be in a confined space in a relationship and the other person's not happy and I'm supposed to just be okay with it. I don't have that skill on stage and I don't have that skill in my relationship. But hopefully... The one thing I want to get better at when it does come time to getting back on stage is to caring less, which really comes down to being less codependent, caring less about whether the audience likes me or not, and just telling my truths, tell my jokes, and let them get on board as they get on board. Because what will happen if anyone, if I mean, for anyone out there who's been to like a live stand-up show, you guys know what will happen is the comics good comics will ramp up their energy as the audience ramps up their their energy. And a good joke should take you on this sort of trajectory that has a really good payoff. But I can't tell you how many times, like take Chris D'Elia, for example. He, dude's a murderer. He murders every show he does. People, he me crushes. Yet he does a show, uh, his Netflix show, I haven't watched it, but everyone who's watched it says, oh, it's not that funny. It's not funny. But there's something to be said about sitting at home watching stand-up versus being there in the flesh. So there's some, there's a, even, even, the, even, if the, even if the cameras are capturing the same exact performance, literally one-thirtieth of a frame per second, boom, 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 the same exact thing. Someone at home can go, I don't really get it. It wasn't really for me. Versus someone who's in the club breathing in that air that's part of the performance. I don't have, and I don't know, I don't know how, and so that, and for that reason, I think some comics perform better to a home audience than others, and some are just better in in the flesh in the moment. I don't know which one I am. I haven't had that opportunity to have an album reviewed. Although someone did tell me today that I sucked at stand up on Reddit, because God forbid you post something and people don't like it. We've had that issue though, and it's, I've become more and more immune to the, the criticism. I know you might be thinking, geez, Dave, no way. But uh, I've become more and more immune to the criticism that people give online because who the fuck leaves negative comments online when you put out, whether it's a YouTube video of your stand-up or podcast or my Bachelor recap reviews? I mean, who leaves? So like I like that person, one of our listeners who posted a, um, a negative a two-star review and they said, oh, you're not where you used to be. You used to talk about sex and now it's all motivational. And then I was like, well, look, it's, you know, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Like I don't wake up in the middle of the night, you know, in cold sweats, but 
you do think of when you when you when you get critiques online. I think my natural reflex is to think of like a peer critiquing me. It's like like it's like a it's like when your dad disapproves of you or like a your best friend is mad at you. That cuts so much deeper than if some random person flicks you off, you know, in road rage. That random person's like, oh fuck you. Yeah, for whatever reason, I I used to really take weight into like strangers opinions of the podcast and this or that. And what I think you learn now is that, you know, people are just dealing with their own shit. So like, uh, smell the breeze, the username, smell the breeze. If you're out there and like the podcast isn't for you for whatever crazy reason, instead of just unsubscribing, you felt the need to write something that I would sort of read and probably would bring my mood down. And that's, and that's, I mean, talk about having empathy for your situation because I clicked on, I clicked on that person's user profile on iTunes because you can see like other reviews they've lit left and it's a lot of negativity. So you go, all right, well, you got to remember that everyone who listens to the podcast is in a different place, either spiritually or with what they think they can contribute to the world. So there's a lot of, um, you know, keyboard warriors as we call them and people that are out there that just want to knock down others creative stuff. And don't get me wrong, if you have a Yelp review, if you had a bad experience, write a Yelp review. You know what I mean? If enough people left me two-star reviews saying what I'm doing sucks, I would probably try to change it up. And don't get me wrong, I'm still listening to that two-star review because that person preferred sex talk, I guess. And In my defense, though, I think we do a fair share of balancing it out. Anyway, this whole rant wasn't to um, win back that person. The whole rant was to say, look, I'm going to continue to speak about what's on my mind i'm going to continue to uh run in my creative directions that i think provide me the best chance to find like that creative fulfillment you know what's interesting is for like the last eight years i've really focused primarily on stand-up comedy but as you guys know the last year or so i wrote that pilot and i'm really wanting to get back into filmmaking um i watch a ton of tv uh, maybe not any more or less than the average person, but I've been trying to, I, first of all, I've, I'm only trying to watch good TV for the most part. And I don't mean good. Like it's got to be Oscar worthy. Like I'll watch some smut as long as it's like, I enjoy it. How many times do we watch something? You ever, you ever struggle through a series cause people say it's good and you're just like, I don't enjoy this. That's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just started watching last night, this series called Outer Banks. It's on Netflix. It's like an OC teen love story, but it's a treasure hunt. And I'm sure there's a million reasons why it's a shitty show. I'm sure you could pick apart the writing, but boy, do I love a good treasure hunt show. <laughs> oh my gosh. What I would, but I'm watching that going, man, I would love to write something that took people on a wild ride like that. And that's the beauty of storytelling is that it can come in different mediums. You know, I've been focusing on the medium of stand-up, but there's also like so many other ways that we can sort of paint a picture. So in the end, as I, you know, do the podcast six years and try to get the YouTube up and running and the Patreon audience, I, at the end, the retrospective thought that I have is what does it boil down to? I think it's just wanting to tell good stories, wanting to create good stuff. That and the struggle that I have is that with stand-up, the struggle that I've had is that uh, stage time is limited. So you can only create 
at a level that like people tell you, you know, there's gatekeepers that say, all right, well, we can't get you up on our show till next year. I mean, I can't tell you how many people said, oh, I'll get you up on a show and never heard back from. And these are people that I had on my show and I have, you know, anyway, the point is, is that, um, with creative, uh, ambitions, how do we take out the gatekeeper? How do we create these stories and not just let them live on a shelf as a screenplay? And that's something that I'm struggling with. You know, you got to meet producers, you got to send them your pilot, or, or you got to perform stand-up at the right club where the casting director is in the audience and they go, oh, who's that person? It's like people want to know they found the deal themselves. If I sent my screenplay to 100 different um, producers, it would probably be different than if I... Uh, you know, knocked it out of the park at some cocktail party, met some guy and, and found out that he really valued my creative sort of vision or who I am. And then he's like, oh, you got anything I can read? You got anything you're trying to sell? Oh yeah, I got this one screenplay I wrote. And then he finds it and he goes, oh dude, this is fucking, this is, this is what we're looking for. And then bingo, validation for something that came out of your head. Bingo. I got to meet um, I was in a UCB class, which is an improv class, with this girl who um, was dating and now they're married with kids. The founder of, the creator of Glee. Not Ryan Murphy, because he, you know, probably bought it and was a figurehead, but the guy who created it. And he's got a house in New York and a house in LA and probably another house somewhere. Like, the dude made bank, man. You know what I mean? And it's not about the money, but he created something he loved and knew about, which was an acapella teen high school show or whatever. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So... As and I'm going to wrap this up, but as we pursue our creative vision, as we spend these weeks safer at home, stuck in quarantine, the question we have to ask ourselves and hope that the answer emerges from the subconscious is what will I contribute to the world with love, with all of the things that make me unique? What will that be? And how will I do it in a way that limits limitations? (laughs) How will I do it in a way that stops or, uh, or, or minimizes that discouraged feeling when someone doesn't even answer your email? Do you just make it yourself? Do you build an audience of an army online that gets you? Like the world's big enough that even if you have a small, tiny percentage point of the population that really vibes with you, you'll do fine, you know? So what we're realizing is that our tribes are out there. So we got to put the content out there. I was thinking of taking my screenplay that I wrote and producing a very high-end table read. We did a Zoom table read. Uh, some people, I think, watched it in the Patreon. I put it I put it on YouTube as a private episode on the Patreon if anyone wants to... Um, actually watch actors read the script. Um, but I think what would work out well is like a really well-produced table read of, you know, pro audio and everything of people reading the script. And then, I don't know, I've, I've even been considering posting that just online to the public and saying, look, if, if, if someone reads this and they think it's worth being made into a TV show, maybe it'll find the right hands. I don't know. But at some point, I think what you realize is there are enough gatekeepers that you don't want to you don't want to leave your creativity just on the shelf collecting dust. And we live in a in a world right now with safer at home where we are stuck at home, but we have the ability to broadcast 
our ideas and our content to the world. I've been very grateful, and I'll end with this. I've been very grateful to have you guys. Uh, I know a lot of people aren't going to work, which is where most people listen to their podcast. I know we've had probably a 20 to 30% decline in downloads because I get it. There's plenty of podcasts that I normally listen to that I'm not right now because I'm just, you know, I got other shit to do and I'm not just stuck in traffic all day. Like, like I used to spend three hours a day in traffic. So I totally get it, but I appreciate you guys that have stuck around. And, um, if you do have the, uh, desire and need and want to check out the Patreon, it's where we post weekly private episodes. The one I did this past Friday with Tasha was fucking awesome. We had a great conversation. We, uh, there's something so much more laid back because we're doing it for a very small crowd and we're also able to play uh, licensed music. So we hook up the Spotify, we play some tunes, we play some funny, you know, whatever, and we just chat. So that episode is, is up there along with all the other episodes. So go check out Patreon if you um, have the need, ability to support. We, uh, big shout out to Huntley uh, Lewis out there in Dallas. Did I get that right? I'm always worried I'm just going to mess this up. Huntley joined our Patreon at the top tier level, which gets him soap, uh, which is, you know, we get to send him a package of our homemade Tada, which stands for Tasha and Dave soap. And then um, you also have access to all of the other Patreon episodes. They all unlock as soon as you join. And you can join for a month. Say hi, bounce. We send everyone who joins a postcard. We're at 20 right now, which, you know, makes a big difference. You've helped us um, really upgrade a lot of our gear and um, it makes a big difference. So if anyone out there wants to join or check it out at least, go to patreon.com slash the sap. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-H-E-S-A-P. And um, I said this, I think, last week, but I haven't... uh, I'm going to try to do... two i know it's a lot and i know a lot of people don't need all of this but i'm going to try to do two public episodes a week along with a private episode you know because i got to keep myself sharp during these times i got a lot of free time in my hands so i'm going to keep creating content and if you want to check it out it's there and if you don't and uh you want the interviews well those will come back too i really wanted to take off a week off from the skype interviews because the audio is not great on those skype calls i'm trying to make it as best as it can be but it's kind of a i don't love it it kind of lags you know two people talking at once it is what it is we're working with it but if you do want to watch any of those uh podcast episodes i have posted those as videos on my page on youtube so go to youtube search dave neal and hit the subscribe button and that's where i'm posting all my content it's really where i'm focusing all of my energy for the podcast for my stand-up for all of its growth because it is the only social media uh, that is actually rewarding content found organically. So while this podcast, I mean, we get buried um, on the iTunes. There's so many podcasts out there. Uh, on YouTube, if people want to search for something very specific, they can find us and then they can and then they know where they can look for us. So a lot of investment is going into YouTube and the visual aspect of all that. So if you want to check that out over there, go on YouTube. And again, I'm rambling at this point. So my voice is gone, guys. I don't know if you can tell. I should have brought a water into the car for this conversation. But um, I appreciate all of your support. And I will see you next episode. Bye, everybody. The S-A-